0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter eleven. Scripture reading this morning is going uh, to be Luke chapter eleven verses twenty nine through thirty six. If you're using uh, one of the pew Bibles, you'll find Luke eleven twenty nine on page eight hundred and seventy. Every one of us makes a multitude of decisions every day. Some of those decisions, maybe even most of those decisions, are of little real consequence. So I had to decide what color tie I would wear this morning. We have to decide where we're going to eat lunch. We, we make little decisions every day. I won't say those decisions are of no consequence because all decisions have, have some impact on our lives, especially when they're considered cumulatively. But I, but I think generally speaking, we recognize that Many of the decisions we make on a daily basis are of little real significance. Other decisions, however, are much more important. If you're a parent, where will you send your kids to school? If you are a high schooler, where will you go to college? What course of study will you follow? At some point, you had to decide if you would date, and if so, whom? You had to decide if you would marry, if you would have Kids, you had to decide what sort of career you would pursue and whether you would move to follow that promotion. These are the types of decisions that shape our lives. These are the types of decisions that are much more weighty because their consequences are much more long-term. And when we face decisions like this, we, we recognize that we need to be careful. The first type of decision we can make without much thought or or forethought. But when we face these life-shaping decisions, we recognize that they deserve our careful attention. On the Scripture passage before us this morning, Jesus is going to show us that the decision we face concerning Him, how we will respond to His revelation of Himself, that it is one of those weighty decisions. And actually, that's probably too weak. In these verses, Jesus is going to show us that the decision we face concerning Him is the single most weighty decision we will ever face. A decision that has consequences not only for this life, but also for the life to come. A decision that ultimately will determine our eternal destiny. So let us give our careful attention to the reading of God's Word, beginning At verse 29 of chapter 11, listen to this. This is the very word of God. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask that He would add His blessing to the reading and the preaching of His Word here this morning. Father God, indeed we do ask that You, by Your mercy, would pour out Your blessing. Father, would You attend to the reading and the preaching of Your Word by Your Spirit? Would You make it effectual for our salvation? Father, if there are any here who do not yet know Your Son, Jesus Christ, would You grant to them this morning repentance unto life and faith in Him? And Father, for those of us who know Him, may You confirm our faith. May You grow our faith. May You bring forth its fruit for our good and Your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My title this morning is taken from the end of this passage there in verse 35 where Jesus says, therefore, be careful. You've probably heard at some point in your life that when the Bible says, therefore, you're supposed to ask, well, what is it there What does Jesus say, therefore, for, here? And and clearly what Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, in in light of everything that I've been saying up to this point, in light of everything that has gone before, this is what you must do. You must be careful. The therefore, of course, points back to the beginning of this narrative, back to, to verse 14, when Jesus healed the man who was oppressed by the mute demon. Remember that narrative began at verse 14 and it continues all the way up to the end of our passage this morning. And so Jesus heals this man. When he heals this man, the crowds respond with amazement. They, they marvel. They, they know that this is an incredible thing. And yet, as we know, there were some in the crowd who were not willing to acknowledge Jesus for who he was. And Jesus took the opportunity of, of their rejection. He took that opportunity to teach the crowds a lesson, to teach them the important lesson That, listen, you are either with me or you are against me. The decision of how you are going to respond to Jesus is not a decision that can be deferred not to decide, is to decide against. Neutrality is, is not an option. You are either with him or you are against him. So in the second part of the narrative Jesus showed us what it means to be with him and he showed us that being with him does not simply mean having your life swept and put in order by his power or having family connections to Jesus. But rather the one who is with him is the one who hears the word of God and keeps it. The one who hears, who receives as true the very words of God and then begins to conform their life to that Word, who begins to walk in accord, who begins to walk in that light, the one who hears the Word and keeps it. This is the one who is with Jesus. And so having told us that we must decide, and having showed us what it means to decide, he now shows us the importance of the decision that we face. Jesus is going to show us that the decision we face regarding Him, how we respond to Him, it is a decision more weighty than any other we will ever face. And therefore, it is a decision that we must handle with great care. He shows us the importance of the decision in, in three ways in the verses before us this morning. He first shows us the importance of this decision by His timing. Then He shows us the importance of this decision by His honesty. And finally, He shows us the importance of this decision. By his warning. So first, Jesus' timing. We see this in verse 29. Luke writes that when the crowds were increasing, he, that is Jesus, began to say, this generation is an evil generation. That's significant. Did you notice what Luke says? He says, when the crowds were increasing, as as more and more people were coming out to, to hear him, Jesus turns to those crowds and says, you are evil seems Jesus went to the same PR school as John the Baptist. You remember uh, when John the Baptist had everyone out of Judea coming to him, he turned to them and said, You are a brood of vipers. What Jesus does... Can you imagine a politician doing something like that today? Can you imagine someone today turning to the crowds that have come out to hear him speak and saying, "You all are an evil bunch. You all are a brood of vipers. There is no politician that would do that. Politicians insult people, but they insult the people who aren 't in their crowds. They insult the other people because they know that this crowd 's going to like it. They play to the crowd because they need the crowds. The crowds are how they 're going to gain influence. The crowds are how they 're going to be elected into Office And so self or interest forces them to say what the crowds want to hear. But Jesus' motivation is different. Jesus is not motivated by self-interest, but rather by compassion. He is not motivated by a desire to advance himself, but by a desire to achieve the good of those who hear him. Remember what Jesus said, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' sincere desire is for the good even of his enemies. We see this as he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, weeping over Jerusalem. Weeping over those who were about to kill him because he says, if only you would have known what would bring you peace. Jesus isn't concerned for Himself. He isn't driven by self-interest. If He was, He would have pandered to the crowds. He, he would have said to the crowds what they wanted to hear. But Jesus understands that if He is going to truly love the crowds, then He has to speak with them honestly. He has to tell them the truth about their situation. There's no time to, to delay. There, these are not issues that can be put to the back burner He needs them to know the truth. He needs them to know the reality of their situation. So therefore, even as the crowds are increasing, He doesn't play to the crowds, but He warns them. And He warns them with an honest assessment of who they are. You see, it's the false prophet who cries, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. It is the evil shepherd who uses his sheep to placate himself. The true prophet, the, the true shepherd, speaks the truth, even, maybe especially, when it smells like death to those who can't receive it. And so in Jesus' timing, Jesus' refusal to play to the crowds, Jesus' willingness to speak the truth, even as the crowds are increasing, we see something of the, the importance of the issue that Jesus is uncovering. And we see it also in his Honesty. We see it in his honest assessment of these people. Notice what he says about them. He calls these people evil. That's a word that we reserve today for a few really bad people. If you're old enough to remember 9-11, you remember that in the aftermath of that terrible day, President Bush called Osama bin Laden and a few other terrorists around the world. He called them evil. And no one objected. Because we all recognize that the term that we recognize, that the evil perpetrated by these people was just that. It was evil. But we don't call ordinary people evil. We, we, we don't call you know, your, your everyday guy someone who is, is evil. It just seems over the top. It seems too extreme. So Jesus challenges us to reassess. He says you need to see the truth. You, you need to recognize the reality. You think that, that it's only a select few who are evil. It's only the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Osama bin Laden. They are the evil ones. He says, but no, this is an evil generation because it asks for a sign. Remember what asking for a sign means. We we saw this earlier in the passage. To ask for a sign is to is to claim that the evidence that you've seen is not enough. It's to claim that you don't yet know who Jesus is. To, to ask for a sign is to say, I'm not yet ready to acknowledge Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you will not acknowledge me, if you will not receive me as Lord, if you will not confess with your lips that I am your King, then you are my enemy. If you are my enemy, then you are by definition evil. See, that's what evil is. Evil is to be opposed to the one true and living God. Evil is to stand over against His good, perfect, and pleasing purposes. We think of evil in in terms of what we do to one another, but God defines evil primarily in terms of how we relate to Him. And if we will not honor Him as God, if we reject His Son, then we do not worship Him truly. And we are evil. Yes, there are those who do horrible things to one another, but our sin is first And foremost against God. It's what David says. David had committed adultery. He had committed murder. And yet he could say, God, it was against you and you only that I have sinned. My sin, yes, it did horrible things to my neighbors. But first and foremost, my sin was a rejection of you as God. And for that, I am justly called evil. If you do not believe In Jesus, if you have not received Him as your Lord, if you are not now resting upon Him as your Savior, God says you're evil. And that may seem extreme to you. That may seem over the top to you. But Jesus doesn't care. He's willing to insult you. He's willing to offend your modern sensibilities. Not because He's full of malice. But because He loves you. And He loves you Deeply, And he longs for you to see the reality. There would be no love in Jesus if he simply let us pretend that we were all right. If he said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. Jesus loves you enough to say, if you are not with me, you are evil. That is the importance of the decision we face. The decision we face regarding Jesus is a decision that determines our ultimate destiny because it's a a decision that determines whether or not we will be holy unto the Lord or whether we will be regarded as His enemies. And Jesus makes this clear in the final warning that He gives. Look at the warning again that, that Jesus gives beginning in verse 29. Jesus says to the cross, He says, "This is an evil generation. it seeks for a sign, but what? But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. No sign is going to be given. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that He's done with miracles. That he's not going to do any more miracles. If you just flip through the pages of Luke, you're going to see that on other occasions and other places, Jesus is going to do other, other miracles. But He's not going to give this crowd a, a miracle right now. He's not going to play to their pander. And he's not going to give them what they're asking for. But He does tell them this. He says, listen, I'm not going to give you the sign you want. I'm not going to do what you demand. But there is one climactic sign coming. There is one final sign that you are going to see. And it's the sign of Jonah. So what is this sign of Jonah? What is this sign of Jonah that Jesus says is coming? Well, you remember the story of Jonah. Jonah was an Old Testament prophet. He was an Old Testament prophet who God sent to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is in Assyria. It is the capital of of an empire that was a constant threat to the people of Israel. One of their enemies. Well, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Assyria. And so when God told him to go east to Nineveh. He instead went west. He headed off towards Spain. But God did not forget his call. God pursued Jonah. God sent a storm after Jonah. And even as Jonah was sailing across the Mediterranean towards Spain, God overtook him in this storm. And and the the boat was about to be swamped. And the people began to wonder, why is God out to, to get us? And Jonah says, it's my fault. Throw me overboard the people don't like that very much. They even, even pagan sailors know it's not good to toss someone into the sea. And so they, they resist for a time. But finally Jonah says, listen, you have to throw me over. I am the cause of the storm. And so they throw Jonah into the sea. And he's fought, swallowed by a great fish. And he spends three days in the belly of this fish. And yes, that's a true story. This is what God does to this prophet. This prophet of, of Israel. He, he saves him from drowning in the middle of the sea. In the belly of Of a great fish. And that fish takes him to dry land. He spits him up on the shore. And now Jonah realizes, okay, I've got to go. God's not a kind of God who you can run from. He's not the kind of God you can get away from. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh. And he goes as one who has been rescued from the sea by spending three days in the belly of a fish. And when he gets there, you know, the, the record of Jonah's sermons in the book of Jonah are very short It only says, you know, repent because you're about to be destroyed. But we can assume Jonah probably said more than that. We can assume that Jonah probably told them his story. And when the people heard that this prophet of God had been rescued from the sea by spending three days in the belly of a fish only to emerge and come to them with this message, they believed. They received it. They repented in dust and ashes from the least unto the greatest. And they receive the mercy of God. A prophet sent to you from the belly of a fish is a pretty powerful sign. And Jesus is saying the people of his generation are going to see a sign like that. They are going to see one come to them not from the belly of a fish, but from the belly of the earth. Jesus is going himself to spend three days in the belly of Of the earth, even as Jonah spent three days in the belly of the fish, and then he is going to emerge. So that Paul can say in Romans that he has been shown to be, he has been declared to be, he has been appointed to be the very Son of God in power, the power to save by his resurrection. the The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the final climactic sign. The sign that establishes Jesus' identity beyond all reasonable doubt. And if the people will not receive Jesus even after seeing Him rise from the dead, then they will be condemned. And they'll be condemned by the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh will rise up on that day to say you should have believed. The queen of the south who came from so far away to hear the wisdom of Solomon will say, you should have believed. If she was willing to come even on reports of Solomon's wisdom, how much more ought those who see the resurrection of God, how much more ought those who, who hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the inspired eyewitness accounts, how much more ought they to come and bow the knee before the Lord, the God, their maker? The God who has sent to them a prophet out of the belly of the earth. And of course, this warning is not only for Jesus' generation, but it is for all generations. It is for us as well. If you are here this morning, I want you to recognize that you have heard the inspired eyewitness testimony to Jesus' resurrection. This is not the mere words of a man. This is the very word of God. And God is saying, My son rose up from the dead. Believe in him. Because no further sign will be given. There are they, those even today, like those in Jesus' day, who demand further evidence, who, who claim that, that God should do more. Bertrand Russell once famously said that if I get to heaven and find out that God is there, I will say boldly to him, He did not give me enough evidence. It is a lie. The evidence is overwhelming. It is not intellectual honesty, but, but a suppression of the truth, a willful foolishness that does not believe in Jesus Christ. So the question that you must face is, what are you going to do with the evidence? How will you respond to the one who has revealed himself to be Lord And King. Some of you here this morning are are children still living in your parents' home, and you are being brought up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord even now. But you must decide what are you going to do with what you're being taught? Are you going to walk in the the footsteps of the, the faith that you are being shown? Family ties are not enough. You must own your faith. Will you receive and rest upon Him as Lord or not? Others of you are adults and And you think you've been riding the fence. You you, you think that you're undecided. You know what the Bible teaches. You know who Jesus is. But you're just not yet ready to commit yourself to follow Him. You're not ready to to lose your life to be His disciple. You want to go your own way just a little bit longer. Jesus says, do not be deceived. If you are not with me, you are against me. You must decide how are you going to respond to Jesus because it will shape your eternal destiny. And I believe most of you here this morning are probably those who have decided. You Most of you here this morning are those who, who have decided to, to lose your life, to gain a life you cannot lose in the person of Jesus Christ through His finished work. But this warning has value for you as well. It has value for you because it's an encouragement to to stand firm. Remember the disciples in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus' teaching starts to get a little weird and and the crowds start to be a little bit offended and they start to disperse. They start to go away and Jesus looks at the disciples and says, Are you going to? And the disciples look back at Jesus and they say simply, Where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. The costs of discipleship are high. We we talk about it a lot here. If you follow Jesus, it will not give you a a bed of roses. It will not make your life easy. In fact, if anything, it will make your life more difficult. The costs of discipleship are high. It will cost you everything. And there will be times when you wonder whether it is truly worth it. But at such times, you can take comfort in Jesus' warning because Jesus tells us, yes, the costs are high, but they are slight and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for those who believe. The cost of the discipleship of high, but the cost of non-discipleship are far higher. What did Jesus say? Do not fear the one who can merely kill your body. If that's all you can do to them, have no fear. Fear the one who has authority over your soul. Fear the one who controls your eternal destiny. Regard him as Lord. Honor him above all. That's exactly what Jesus tells us here in this text. He says, listen, this decision is the most important decision you will ever face. How are you going to respond to me? I've shown you who I am. What are you going to do with it? And his warning is simply this. Be careful. Give this decision the care that it deserves. Look again at verses 33 through 36. What does Jesus say? No one, after lighting the lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter it may see the light. Now that's a fairly straightforward image. When you light a lamp, you light that lamp in order that you might see the light. By the light of that lamp. You don't light a lamp and then put it under your bed. You don't light a lamp and put it in the cellar. You don't light a lamp and then cover it up. You light a lamp so that you may see it. The purpose of a lamp is to give light. And what does Jesus say? The eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the body's source of light. It is through the eye that you are able to see what is around you. And it is through the eye that you are able to know where you are going and where you are Walking, that's Jesus' point. The eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is what allows you to walk in accord with the truth and not bump your head on the rocks of reality. This is what the eye does for you. And so if your eye is healthy, if your eye is able to see, then you will walk in the light. But if your eye is bad, if your eye does not see, or if your eye sees falsely, then you will bumble around in the dark. And eventually you will walk into your own destruction. So Jesus says, listen, be careful there. Be careful how you see. Be careful that you see correctly. Be careful that you heed the light that has been shown to you. Do not put your lamp under a basket. Do not blindly put your hands over your eyes and say, I refuse to acknowledge the reality of what you're saying. Do not willfully choose to go on living as if you hadn't seen Jesus. Don't willfully go on living as if He were not who He has revealed Himself so clearly to be. If you willfully suppress the truth, if you choose to, to walk as if He is not the Lord, you are choosing to walk in the dark. And walking in the dark always leads to destruction. But notice what he says in verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part darkness, it will be wholly bright. If you walk in the light, it it won't just be light for a little bit. It will be light for everything. If you acknowledge Jesus, if you will receive the light that He is showing you, it will give light to your whole life. It will give light to your whole life for all eternity. For if you will acknowledge Him as Lord, you will not only walk in the light here, but you will walk in the light in the age to come. This is the decision that shapes everything. If you reject Him, you will walk in the darkness to your own destruction. If you receive Him, you will walk in the light forever. May God grant us His grace to approach this decision with the care of that it deserves. May God grant us His grace to be careful. Pray with me. Father God, indeed, we ask for Your grace. Father, we know who Jesus is because You have shown us by Your inspired Word, Father, given through Your prophets. Father, we know the truth. We have seen the The light. May we not willfully reject it. But may our eyes be good. May we see the light. May we walk in the light. May we submit our lives to the truth that we might know your blessing for all eternity, Father. May we hear the word of God and keep it that we might not perish but have eternal life.